Slake, and we are looking at the book of Proverbs. It is a book that has been written to help you and me navigate life with skill, except it very quickly starts talking about sex. In fact, you're, you're halfway through chapter two, and it starts talking about it. And you might think, seriously? I thought this was about living the noble life. I thought this was about living a higher life. Sure. But what Proverbs teaches us is that we are not going to live life with skill until we're handling sex with skill, until we're handling relationships and romance and intimacy with skill. You see, as James K. Smith, the American philosopher, says, you are not a brain on a stick. You're not a thinking thing. You're a loving thing. You're a desiring thing. You are a worshipping thing. And the things that you love, the things that you desire, the things that you want, always trump what you think or even believe or know. I mean, you can know I should not eat another chocolate. But what good is that? What good is knowing that when that chocolate is right in front of you and you want it? And the same is true for life. You can know that you should behave in a certain way when you are having to handle this moment with skill. But it's what you want in that moment. It's what you are desiring in that moment that determines how you will behave in that moment. And every guy who I've ever sat down with who is struggling with porn or gone too far with his girlfriend or used a prostitute or committed adultery, every one of them would say, I know it's wrong, but I did it anyway. Why? Well, that is what Proverbs wants to help us understand. Now, maybe you would say, yeah, okay, great, but sex is not a problem for me. But listen, you are no less a desirer. You are no less a lover. And it may not be sex for you, but it may be affection. Or it may be romance. Or it may just be companionship. And it may not be the hot stud who turns your head. It might be the gentle guy who speaks to you kindly, pays you a compliment. And it may not be sexual, but it may still be deeply emotional. And those are no less desires, and they profoundly influence the way that we live and behave. Plus, we're sexual beings. And sexual desires run deep, and so it is easy to think, I will only be truly fulfilled if those desires are being met. The problem is, as Proverbs will teach us, is get it wrong, and there are emotional, physical, and spiritual consequences. So, we are going to look at three things. We're going to look at the tale of temptation, the cemetery of sin, and the solution to them both. Okay, firstly, the tale of temptation. 
And in chapter 7, Solomon is like a Hollywood scriptwriter, spinning us a tale, dramatising a seduction. And he does it for a reason. Okay, you see, the, the young woman who wakes up in bed with her boyfriend, or the guy sitting alone in his hotel room, on his bed with his head in his hands after the prostitute has just left, is not there by chance. It didn't just happen. There is always a story. One thing follows another. And so Solomon narrates a story. And he's looking down the street. He's, in, he's sort of in this vantage point, looking out of his window, looking down the street, and he sees a young man, verse 7. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now, ancient wisdom literature, like Proverbs, was aimed primarily, not exclusively, but primarily at young men as the next generation of leaders. So this... Any young guys in here, this has got something specific to say to you, but not just you, not just them, to all of us. Look how Solomon describes this guy. He's one among the simple, someone lacking sense. So this is anyone who, as we saw last week, rather than seeking to grow in wisdom, is being tempted down folly's path. It's anyone who would say with St. Augustine, Lord, make me chaste, make me sexually, romantically pure, but not yet. Okay? This is anyone who wants God, but wants sex or romance or affection just that bit more. But then comes another character. Okay? Because we watch the young man, verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Who's her? Well, right before in verse 5 and in chapters 2 and 5 and 6, Solomon introduces us to the forbidden woman, the adulteress, the one that his sons and every man must avoid at all costs. And yet, those words, forbidden and adulterous, they are translating Hebrew words for strange and foreign. So she's anyone, male or female, who should be an outsider, who should be out of bounds, who should be a foreigner to you sexually. And if you're married, that is anyone other than your husband or your wife. And if you're single, it's anyone. And if we're talking dating and romance and you call yourself a Christian, it is anyone who is not a Christian. Any outsider, anyone outside the people of God who's, who's strange to you or should be. And yet the young man is walking past her house. Now, is he there deliberately? Does he know what he's doing or is he just naive? Well, we're not told, are we? And that is the point, because either way, he's putting himself in harm's way. And look when it's happening, verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. How often does temptation 
come at night. You know, when you're alone or lonely, when you're tired or you've been drinking and your resistance and your judgment is lowered, or maybe you're just bored, because what's he doing there? Loitering about, walking the streets at night. Hasn't he got something better to do with his time? Okay, but there's another kind of darkness that can leave you vulnerable. Maybe you are experiencing an emotional or spiritual or relational twilight. And you're sad. And you're feeling empty. And you're feeling lonely. And maybe God feels distant. Or maybe the dark clouds of stress have cast their shadow over you and you are vulnerable to anything that offers to blunt the pain or relieve the stress or heal the hurt. And so sexual and romantic temptation is a nocturnal predator. It haunts and hunts us in the night and the dark. Verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute. Not my cup of tea, you might say. It doesn't turn me on. Okay, but what does turn you? What does turn your head? What makes you go about him or about her? Wow. You see, in Proverbs 6, verse 25, Solomon says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Guys, Ladies, there is such a thing as beauty. There really is. And it is attractive. But it is how we desire it and the value that we give it. That's the problem. Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Is that woman beautiful? You bet she is. Is that guy ripped or handsome or whatever? Sure he is. Is the ring made of gold? Yes. But there's a pig attached. And external beauty is... You are supposed to laugh, okay? (laughs) External beauty is external. And it's passing. And if that is what you are desiring above everything else, the pig muck is about to hit the living room carpet. Because it is not just how she is dressed, verse 10. She is wily of heart, literally guarded of heart. Let's just keep this physical. Let's not think about this. Don't think, just feel. Let's just enjoy this moment. This is sex with no strings attached. This is sex without commitment or covenant. So this is sex until a better option comes along, leaving you or her discarded. Or it might be the exact opposite of that. It may be only emotional. And it's the body that's guarded and the heart that's not. Either way, you are giving yourself to another who should be strange to you. Now, the problem is, when you are vulnerable, it feels like temptation is everywhere. Verse 12. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every street corner, she lies in wait. 
And whether it's advertising billboards or the films that we watch, whether it is travelling away from home or that new colleague at work, it feels like, man, I just can't escape from this. You can't. Because as the monks discovered, the problem, it's not just out there. The problem is in here. The problem is our hearts. And that's where temptation works. Verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him. But what does she say? Well, repeatedly Solomon warns us of her smooth words, verse 5, her slippery words, words that make this sound so good, so right, words that never admit what this actually is. In fact, in 5 verse 3, Solomon says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. This contact we're having, this, this conversation, this relationship, this is going to be so sweet. So when you feel yourself being tempted, or when you watch one of your friends being tempted, ask yourself, what's the honey? What desire is this appealing to What's it offering to feed? What is it telling me that if I take this, it is going to be so good? What's going on in my heart? Okay, but then look what she actually says. Verse 14. I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. And temptation and sin can coat themselves in this veneer of religion and spirituality. This feels so right, it must be right. We were made for each other. This is a God thing. It's God who's brought us together. Or this is the way that God's made me. But then it gets personal, verse 15. I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. In chapter 5, verse 3, Solomon says, her speech is smoother than oil. Why? Because it massages your ego. That's what temptation does. It tells you you are so special. And this other person makes you feel wanted. They make you feel admired. They make you feel loved. When, re when in reality, this woman could have hit on any of the other guys in his circle of friends. But no, it's you that I want. And when our hearts long for intimacy... Those words speak deep into our hearts. Verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And temptation wants you to confuse love with lust. But reality drops like a rock. Verse 19. For my husband is not at home. Ah, okay. Okay. So it doesn't matter how special this is. It doesn't matter how beautiful. It doesn't matter how whatever else. She has a husband. And sin is sin. And yet it is her husband's absence that says no one will ever know. Verses 19 to 20. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. So this can be our little secret. And temptation offers you the excitement of risk. 
all the time telling you it is risk-free. But it's that secrecy, it's that hiding from the light that tells you this cannot be right. And let's just turn the tables for a moment. Let's just imagine another woman whose husband is also off on a business trip. Except this woman longs for her husband's affection and attention. The problem is, his work has it. And when he's home, she feels at best like a housekeeper. And when he isn't, she worries about what he's doing. But she dare not ask, because he's the one who holds the bag of money. Now imagine how another man, maybe at the school gate, maybe at the gym, maybe at work, who speaks to her kindly, might be as tempting to her as a woman dressed as a prostitute is to this young man. Because it has got nothing to do with looks and everything to do with the desires of our hearts. But in every case, verse 21, it's a seductive and smooth talk that draws us in. And as our narrator watches him, however much this young man may have vacillated, should I, shouldn't I, is this right, is this wrong, should I do it or not do it, the moment of decision comes, verse 22, all at once he follows her. All at once he clicks. All at once she presses the send button on that text. All at once he does choose to go and sit at her table. All at once she does decide to wait for him outside. But there's a whole story that precedes it. A whole string of things that have led up to this moment that helps explain why. In verses 22 to 23, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Tale of temptation and the cemetery of sin. Second point. Now, we, today, we are told that our desires, especially our sexual ones, are key to our identity. So don't deny them. You don't deny your sexual desires, you are told. They are you. So why should you deny them? Why should you? Because Proverbs says that if you go outside the bounds of what is right, you are playing with fire. Proverbs 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? And in our foolish self-confidence, we can think, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do it. I can carry fire close to my chest and I'm not going to be burned. Guys, even, even Hollywood script writers tell us, at least when it comes to adultery, this attraction may just be fatal. Proverbs 5, verse 3 again. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But look what follows, verse 4. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. In the end. As Derek Kidner writes in his commentary, there's always an end. There's always an after. 
The romance, the excitement, the affair will end and reality will come crashing in. And what promised to be, maybe even was, tasting so sweet, tastes as bitter as bitter can be. And the pleasure that lasted a few moments or days or weeks or months carries consequences for a lifetime. They could be spiritual. The way sin deadens our conscience and quenches the spirit. They could be physical and you find yourself sitting in the waiting room of the STD clinic. Perhaps more painful of all, they are relational because what promised to be just physical or emotional proves to be anything but. You see, if this woman is dressed like a prostitute, she is dressed to kill. That's why 6 verse 25 says, do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. And verse 27, she hunts down a precious life. Guys, ladies, this is not Proverbs being sexist. Okay, just switch the sexes around and the message holds. Don't let him capture you with his smile. Because 7 verse 27, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. You see, if this relationship has an end, so too do our lives. There's an after. There's always an after. Judgment comes. And the Bible makes clear that sexual immorality, if not repented of, I'll repeat that. The Bible makes clear that sexual immorality, if not repented of, puts into question a person's profession of faith. And those short nights of pleasure are followed by the long, dark night of eternity. There is such a thing as beauty. There really is. And there is such a thing as love. And there is such a thing as intimacy. And God made you to desire them. But get them in the wrong order, and we end up shamed and stained by sin. So what is the answer? What's the answer to temptation? And what can lead us out of the cemetery of sin? Last point then, the solution to both. Okay, look at verse 24. Solomon finishes his story and says, And now, O sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. It's also the way he introduces the story. If you look, verses 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. What's the apple of your eye? I mean, I know it's a pupil, okay. But what is the apple of your eye? It's what's most dear to you. Okay, it is what you love and desire above everything else. It is what you most want. And Proverbs says, make God's word that. Make God's word that. Verse 3, write then on the tablet of your heart. You see, we can know the commandment against sexual immorality. And we can know it to be absolutely true. But unless we love God and his word more than this temptation or what this temptation is offering me in this moment, I'm going to fall for the temptation. 
every time. But if he is my number one desire, and if, as verse 4 says, we say to wisdom, you are my sister, and you call insight your intimate friend, then it says, then they will keep you from the forbidden woman or the forbidden man. Because as we've repeatedly seen, to be wise, to learn to live life with skill, begins with fearing God. It begins with loving him so much we do not want to sin against him. How do you grow in that love? Well, Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So it comes by daily coming to him and listening to him in his word, hearing him speak to you and asking him to fan into flame your love and desire for him. And as we do, as we are listening to him speaking to us, we will be in a much better place to judge the words that other people are speaking to us or that are coming from the lips of temptation. Yet nowhere do we get to hear the word of God or receive the treasures of his wisdom more than in Christ. And if you and I are hardwired to desire beauty, listen to Psalm 45 as it talks of Jesus. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Because when it comes to beauty, a beauty that is majestic and awesome and heroic, a beauty before which we fall, Christ towers over them all. And yet he humbled himself and he became like one of us. And when he did, he didn't come as one of the beautiful people. Isaiah says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So why did the one who is beautiful beyond description stoop so low to lift you up? And at the cross, he was marred beyond human recognition so that you might be healed. He took all of our ugliness so that we might have all of his beauty he took all of our sexual sin so that we might have all of his purity. And in his death, he entered the cemetery so that in his resurrection, he might lead us out. And as we put our trust in him, we are made one with him. It's why Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that frees you. It frees you to love him above everything else. And it frees you, if you're single, to be chaste and to submit your sexual desires under your greatest desire, which is Christ. And if you're married, it frees you to be faithful and to satisfy your sexual desires within your marriage. You see, in Proverbs chapter 5, we're told that instead of seeking pleasure with the person who should be strange to us, verse 18, rejoice in the wife or the husband of your youth. In fact, verse 19, 
be intoxicated, get drunk, be led astray, always in her love. Don't be led astray by this, but absolutely do be led astray by this. As Charles Bridges, the 19th century pastor, wrote, tender affection within marriage is the best defence against the desires of illicit passion. And not just because of what it gives us, because, but because of where it points us. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that all along, the tender affection of a husband for his wife and the tender affection of a wife for her husband has been pointing us to Jesus and his tender affection and his self-sacrificing love for us and our loving submission to him. So, when you face the honey-dripping, seductive talk of sin, ask yourself, what is it I most desire? And ask God to help you love Christ more. But secondly, Proverbs 7.25, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. In other words, avoid those situations which you know you find tempting. It's one of the good reasons to just work out what's a story. What is it that every time this happens, what's going on before that? I mean, what was he doing out late at night, walking the street past her house? When saints on their way to heaven should be in bed by 11. <laughs> and Proverbs 5 verse 8 says, Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Okay, there is always a story and one stolen glance, one conversation that pushes the envelope, one dawdling around the water cooler leads to another. You start walking past her house and you end up in her bed. So as Paul says to Timothy, whatever your age, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Flee that pursue that. And that might mean installing an internet blocker, might mean taking a toolkit with you on your next business trip and unscrewing your TV from your hotel bedroom wall and sticking it in your shower for the duration of your trip. It might mean daily calling your accountability partner while you, while you are away. It might mean taking a different route to work or transferring departments or changing jobs or breaking up with friends. Whatever it is, Proverbs 5.25 says that the guy or girl who falls for the forbidden dies for lack of discipline. Don't let that be you. Be disciplined. Do what you need to do. As Paul says in Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thirdly, finally, consider the consequences and then look to the cross. Proverbs 7.26 says, for many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. He's saying, before you go down this route, just look how it's gone for everyone else who's gone down that route. Look at the body count. Look at the body count and let 
it sober you. Let the potential consequences of sin be like a stinging slap around the face of passion. Gee, one of the things I've done in the past and frankly feel the need to do again is to sit down and write out the impact on Sue and my girls and my sons-in-law Lucas and Clements and any future grandkids we might have and on you as a church and on the name and reputation of Jesus if I was to be unfaithful to Sue. And I let that list sober me. But don't just look at the body count. Look at Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is blunt. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Which means you can be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know what that list does to you. To me, it makes me go, well, what hope is there for someone like me? What hope is there for someone like me with all of my sin and all of my past and all of these desires fighting inside me? But then Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, temptation and sin will chew you up and spit you out. Jesus never does. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick and the sinful. And he picks us up and he washes us down and he says, you are holy in my sight and I love you. So let us love and desire him above everything else. Let's pray.